Hi friends, welcome back to another video slash episode of the James Red Podcast. Today I have my water here with me, good for hydration, for nutrients for the body, and then I have my coffee, my iced coffee. This is my anti-depression juice. <laughs> uh, so today I want to talk about different forms of cameras and lenses and gear in photography and, and, and talk about the different characters that they bring. I believe that each different camera, lens, gear combination brings a new set of characteristics to the table. They each have their own personality, if you will. Now, there are going to be a couple of things that I want to work through today that are examples of really interesting expressions of this type of thing. But first off, some news. This is very important. Let me take a sip of my, oh, which one do I want? <laughs> this, is, this is always a hard decision, you know. Body or mind, body or mind. Both are important. It's good to have a ratio, right? So maybe, maybe two, two, so two thirds, right? Or no, 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 no. F one, uh, eight, no, seven eighths. So you have seven on the water of the eighths. The other one eighth, I'm sorry, on the coffee, the other one eighth is the water. And this is the perfect ratio for keeping your body and mind and spirit alive. So uh, I, I want to talk about some news that I came across today in the news, aka Twitter. And it's a, it's a story about the, the Apple headquarters campus and how there have been there have been some problems lately with this new building that has been erected. And so if you don't know, this building is shaped like a donut. It's like a giant donut. It's an enormous, probably set some records, enormous building. And the, the building is made seven-eighths of glass, lots of glass, you know, the, the Apple way. And so I came across this article today that said that people have been running into the panes of glass, the workers have been running into, I'm sorry, the, uh, the, uh, the, the team members, the, the, uh, the, the spirit movers or, you know, whatever, whatever sort of, uh, Silicon Valley type of terminology that they've, they've, uh, acquired, uh, adopted to the people of the, okay. So they've been running into the glass panes all over the campus, <laughs> which is hilarious. And I, I want to read this. This is from oh I forget what website I got it from, I think uh it was uh, I think it was Bloomberg or something of this sort. If you're on the video, I'll link it below. You can read about it as well. The centerpiece of Apple Inc.'s new headquarters is a massive ring-shaped office overflowing with panes of glass, a testament to the company's famed design-obsessed aesthetic. There's been one hiccup since it opened last year. Apple employees keep smacking into the glass. <laughs> Oh, man. First world problem, right? Surrounding the building, located in Cupertino, California, are 45-foot-tall curved panels of safety glass. Now, now, now do they mean 45-foot-tall single panels or 45-foot-tall panels? This is important, and this changes the dynamic of—well, this changes the intelligent level of the people who are running into them, of course. Uh, inside are workspaces dubbed pods. Also made with a lot of glass. <laughs> so I just, when I read that, I, I picture a room made entirely of glass. All the furniture is glass. I picture these like futuristic round chairs also made of glass. The desks are made of glass. All the phones are, the, it's the iPhone 
58 entirely made of glass. <laughs> it's, it's, it sounds horrible. I, I can imagine you have to keep it very warm because the glass would certainly be cold to sit on. Where was I at? Uh, that resulted in the repeat. Where was that? Okay. Apple staff are often glued to the iPhones they helped popularize. That's, that's resulted in repeated cases of distracted employees walking into the panes, according to the people familiar with the incidents. Some staff, some staff started to stick post-it notes on the glass doors to mark their presence. However, the notes, the notes were removed because they detracted from the building's design. People's Johnny Ives walking around going, this isn't right. <laughs> uh, they asked not to be identified, discussing re anything related to Apple. Another person familiar with the situation said there were there are other markings to identify the glass. And then there's a break in the article, and there's another spot where it says, It's not the first time Apple's penchant for glass in buildings has caused problems. In late 2011, 83-year-old Evelyn Paswall uh, walked into a gla uh, the glass wall of an Apple store, breaking her nose. <laughs> She sued, she sued the company, arguing it should have been posted. It should have posted a warning on the glass. The suit was settled without any cost to Apple, according to legal filing in 2030. Evelyn Paswall sounds like somebody who would sue somebody for walking into some glass. So I have only one thought about this entire story in, in uh, conclusion, and that is that the window cleaner at the new Apple headquarters, uh, this is a fantastic bit of material to put on his resume. All right, moving on. So I got a question from somebody uh, in, in one of my recent videos from a guy named Mark Lacey. Thank you for your viewership, Mark, and uh, you, uh, you always leave such wonderful engagements. When I say engage, by the way, like I mean that, and thank you, Mark, for doing that. I always love and learn from your videos. They are very expi uh, very expiring. They kill me. They're very inspiring and very instructional. One question, one question. When you're shooting across the street for an image, what focal length do you find is the best to use? Now, this will tie into everything that we're going to be talking about uh, today in terms of lens, uh, the characters of lenses and cameras. And my response was something along the lines of it really depends, and it depends on what situation you're you're in uh, obviously how wide your roads are are you able to stand in the median do you want to cut more out of the frame because there are certain backgrounds that are less conducive than others to to be pleasing if you are in i don't know you're in venice and you want to capture a side profile shot of somebody taking you know mid-stride walking in front of a building you're probably more likely to be okay with adding more of the background into the scene and having the person be smaller. But if just to the left of this person who's walking, who is an interesting person, the, the scene directly behind the person is interesting, just to the left, you have some trash cans and a dead body. You may want to crop that out, uh, in, in which case it's a good idea to use a longer lens. So it really depends on the situation, and you need to know the personality of your city and your environment well that was my answer to that question so so like i said i think the different gear has different characters different personalities and uh it's it's interesting because when, when it comes to the different types of 
cameras out there, specifically sensors. Sensors have their own characters, but in a really, really nuanced way. And sometimes I, I learned when I was playing this that it's hard to find a fitting word for some things in life. And maybe sometimes there are actually no words to, <laughs> to explain the differences, but you know them when you see them, or you may not even know them when you see them at face value, right? So if you're just looking at a picture taken on camera A, you may not know the difference between that and camera B, but if you are educated on the differences and you know that that was taken with that camera, you can start to see the details. And if you're really good, you can start to actually you know, take them apart. So one example of this is uh, Hasselblad cameras which are medium format cameras, which has a sensor that's significantly bigger than a full frame sensor, which is, you know, you, you'll find in full frame cameras, like uh, my Nikon, I have a D600 and, and, and newer cameras, D800 uh, or 870, whatever they have right now. Uh, you can see how immersed I am in the gear ecosphere. But it's interesting because medium format cameras have a very surreal, immersive quality to 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 the to the images they create because of the size of the the sensor i assume among other things but i think that's a huge part in the uh, huge variable and it has this, this sense of deep rich detail to it it's just different it's just different where if, if you flip over and go to the iphone it has a very very tiny sensor in there and there's this sort of low resolution feel to it but not low resolution in the way that we normally mean it, meaning, meaning uh, low pixel resolution, right? It's more of a low dynamic resolution. The image looks different. Now, this was more pronounced on older phones. I used to have a BlackBerry, and that was the potato phone. I think the, the camera on that was like 2 megapixels, and not, not that you can't produce a good image with 2 megapixels, honestly, but it was a, it was a phone camera, and it was a it was a potato camera if you will but it the, but the images on the iPhone have gotten so much better and it's actually hard to tell them apart from other from other more more uh you know professional cameras if you will but it but overall it has this less like i said a l lower dynamic resolution feel to it and it feels less thorough it feels less saturated in detail like than something like a uh, like a full frame or an APS-C or a medium format for sure and uh, or even a mirrorless camera like a or a micro four thirds this sort of thing now another another type of photography that i find quite interesting and it sounds like an, an absolute nightmare to participate in, but it it but it's create it creates some really unique images. Is the wet plate collodion process, and this is uh this was invented let's see, 1851 by Frederick Scott Archer, and so I'm gonna read because I'm I found an article that will explain it a lot better than than I could because I don't know enough about the process, but I think it's really interesting. It's definitely steps back into the fundamentals of photography. Now, um, one thing I will note about the characteristic of wet plate photography is the, the depth of field is extremely shallow. The bigger, the bigger the sensor, the shallower the depth of field. I think that has a lot to do with the, the, the area in which the, the image is taken, how much area, how much, uh, how much, how big the sensor is. And you can see that I don't, I can't break that down in glorious detail because I don't spend a lot of time thinking about that stuff. But 
but the bigger the sensor, the shallower depth of field. That's, that's the idea. With your iPhone, it is much harder to create an image with shallow depth of field, although we have made tremendous strides in this world, especially by adding a second camera to the, the Plus series of iPhones. You have 50 millimeter, it's a tighter lens, therefore you're able to pull off shallower depth. But anyway, this is the wet collodion process. Wet collodion process, also known, also called collodion process, is an early photographic technique invented by Englishman Frederick Scott Archer. I'll link to these articles, by the way. In 1851, the process involved adding a, a soluble iodide to a solution of collodion, which is cellulose nitrate, and coating a glass plate with the mixture. In the dark room, the plate was immersed in a solution of silver nitrate to form silver iodide. The plate, still wet, was exposed in the camera. It was then developed by pouring a solution of pyro pyrogallic acid over it and was fixed with a strong solution of sodium thiosulfate, for which potassium cyanide was later substituted. I'm assuming that's because people started going blind in the 1800s trying to take photos or something of this sort. It's funny to compare that to, let me keep my spot so I know where the heck I am. Okay. It's funny to compare that to the process now, which is you take a photo and you upload it. That's it. <laughs> if you want to get fancy, you can go in ViscoCam or Lightroom, but it's... Uh, the instantaneous nature of where we are right now. I mean, we, we have to appreciate that. And uh, the ability to be, I think, more creative in many ways, but also potentially less creative by being so free and not having a box to put yourself in. There are interesting, there are interesting good things about using something like a wet plate collodion process. There are interesting bad things about that. Obviously, I would say that in general, overall, we're in a better place now for creativity because you have the ability to take 1,000 photos, immediately look at it. But, you know, we've been speaking about this for a while in the photographic community where what this does, the the, the spontaneity of it all, ma makes it where we can't, where we're in, we don't treat each photo as precious because we have an SD card that can take 30,000 of them as opposed to you have a plate that you know cost $35 per plate or you have you have a film that has you know you have uh whatever it is 12 20, uh 15, 16 28 exposures what have you you're literally spending money when you take photos <laughs> and uh there's there is there are benefits to shooting and restricting yourself in that way Immediate developing and fixing were necessary because after the collodion film had dried, it became waterproof and the regent solutions could not penetrate it. That sounds like a nightmare, you know. The process was valued for the level of detail and clarity it allowed, which is another characteristic of this, uh, this type of shooting. It's a very, very rich clarity to the photos, even though they have, even though they have lots of sort of abrasions and if you look at the film, it's like this this sepia, black and white-esque type. Of, think of think of a, a proper Abraham Lincoln photo. Um, lots of imperfections and abrasions, but this really interesting moody quality. Very, they tend to be very dark. 
uh, in the shadows, this sort of thing, lots of contrast. Uh, clarity allowed. A modification of the process in which an underexposed negative was backed with black paper or velvet to form what was called an ambrotype. Whoa. Became very popular from the mid to late 19th century, as did a version on black lacquered metal known as tintype or ferrotype. Fancy. So I want to now jump into uh, a photographer who uses the wet plate process. And I, I looked around for a little bit. I wanted to find one that really tickled my the back of my knee, if you will, with the with with in terms of the type of photos that the person is creating. I wanted to find ones that were particularly interesting. Maybe not just your standard portrait, if you will. So we're going to look at Ian Ruder, I think. Uh, I-A-N-R-U-H-T-E-R. And here are some of his photos. Let's scroll, shall we? Okay, here we are on the website of Ian Ruder, a.k.a. Alchemist. So I guess he, he makes healing potions on the side. Sweet gig. So we are on a series called Monument Valley, and he has these images displayed very large. And so the first thing I noticed about these images when I first scrolled through them is how how rich and atmospheric and, and deep feeling these photos are. I know that when you look at a photo, the bigger you look at a photo, the more immersed you get into it. I think it's sort of this effect of, like, in real life, you're extremely immersed in a landscape like this because you're there. It's... It's actually as big as it is, or at least as big as your eyes uh, perceive it. And in in this case, we're seeing we're seeing really large photos that try to replicate that to some extent. Now, I don't know how much of that is the wet place wet plate wow wet plate process, or how much of that is the fact that they're displayed really big. Could be a combination, but I find that really interesting. But you can see that the 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 uh, monument, if you will, the rock formation in the background seems maybe slightly out of focus. Hard to tell if that's just an atmospheric situation. But it, we're looking at a photo of two enormous rock formations like the ones you will find in Monument Valley. Beautiful black and white, slightly warmish tones to the photo. Lots of abrasions and scratches on the film. Very imperfect looking, super dark blacks. And when you have a landscape like this, having these really dark blacks are are a fantastic addition to telling a story. There is a story of uh, Ansel Adams. I I forget what process he used for his photos, but it was I think it was actually similar. But he he was up on top of I think it was Half Dome, and he had one or two exposures left, if I remember correctly. He was limited, and he had climbed up the side of it. And he took this very famous photo of Half Dome, and it has this very haunting feel to it. It feels so enormous. It feels maybe somewhat like it might feel when you're there. The way that one of the techniques he used to make it feel so huge was he put a red filter in front of the image, which which made the shadows extremely um, dark and intense. And it created this effect. I've, I've always found that to be incredibly interesting because we do that in Lightroom nowadays <laughs> in a non-destructive fashion. It's, it's, it's interesting. We've come a long way. But I think that the dark shadows help out here and, and um, 
the the intense filmic quality and the imperfectness of it is really interesting, really immersive. And uh, so as we scroll through, hopefully I'll come across some examples of the shallow depth of field. Hard to tell here because it is it is a an enormous landscape. Another photo of some rock formations. In the middle, we have some rock formations in the distance. So closer to us, we have these two giant walls in the middle, uh, more rock formations. And they're hazy, they, indicating that very far away it creates this feeling of depth and scale and enormity. Beautiful. Some of the most, these are some of the most beautiful monument valley or desert photos I've ever seen. This one blows my face off. A wider shot of Monument Valley, lots of lots of different rock formations. And the foreground is so dark that as you get closer to the 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 spot where the photographer is, it's so dark that you can't see the ground. It just goes to jet black. It feels like some sort of lunar landscape, if you will. And as you move forward, it starts to brighten up a little bit, and you can just see the, the different bits of rolling uh, quality to the landscape. And as you move further back, it gets brighter and brighter. And it directs your attention to that part of the frame in, in such a unique, interesting way. Now, I'm curious. I don't know a whole lot about this process, but I'm curious if he if he sort of manipulated the film to make the foreground so darker, if it just sort of captured that way to some extent. No, I don't want to inspect the page, Chrome. Jesus! <clears throat> but uh, but once again, incredibly immersive. You can see these scratch uh, these scratchies across the film. I find that wonderful. Scroll down. Oh, it faded in. Oh, so this one's interesting. It's a closer-up view of a, a particular rock formation, and there's this uh, there uh, these serious imperfections. Look almost like little leaves, uh, uh, shadows of leaves, if you will, on the film and and th these little th these things are not so interesting when you have an app that can make it for you <laughs> in my opinion and for whatever reason on the app store those tend to be the, the some of the top trending apps for photo manipulation is like you know photoshop your face clean up take your zit off or uh or add crazy film effects and lens flares and stuff uh this to me is not particularly interesting. I don't think it really adds uh, anything intriguing to the photo, anything that means anything to me, and I don't know who's sharing these photos. I don't, I don't normally see people sharing photos that have these types of manipulations for the most part. I don't understand it. It's, it doesn't make sense why it's so popular. Can't we get our lives together, America? Jesus. But what I was going to say is that in Film world, let me get some depression juice. I mean, anti-depression juice. Oh, yes. Oh. You know what is depression juice? Coca-Cola, because it kills you slowly. Get your lives together, guys. Diet's just as bad, probably worse. All of those are bad. Don't do those. But LaCroix's pretty good. That one's pretty good. Now, I hear that it wears the enamel on your teeth, potentially, but... Definitely not as bad as sugary drinks. Sugar is a huge thing, but potentially the carbonation does. But I've seen other articles that says that, that there's no significant wear, no significant studies that prove any sort of thing, anything significant. I don't know what to believe because I freaking love sparkling water. But anyway, to what I was saying was that the the fact that this happened naturally on this film 
makes these weird little imperfections so much more interesting to me. The fact that the film, this is a natural process of, of photographic development that it does this, or as natural as photographic development can be. It's a weird, it's a weird reactionary process that we're not really in touch with anymore. Uh, but beautiful stuff. Scrolling more. More scrolling! Really dark, intense uh, rock formation. Very shadowy. You can see in the background um, the the desert just goes into endless nothingness. I mean, these images have such a uh, rich mood to them. Very haunting feeling. And it's what I love about this is when you're in the desert, you get a bit of this when you're there. Not not. It's interesting because... You're not haunted in the desert. <laughs> You're not running through the desert going, "Oh dear God, someone's gonna, someone's gonna, someone's someone's going to decapitate me with a ghostly sword of sorts." Very common, and um, very common in uh, you know, downtown Chicago. But but when you're there, you feel this 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 intense weightiness of the the landscape that's around you, and you get that same feeling here to some extent. It's a really interesting thing. Another image of more monuments. This beautiful landscape, beautifully framed. This person really had to think about the framing of these photos in this case because they're they're spending money to make these photos. Uh, and, and so that's kind of, you know, that's kind of what I was getting at a second ago. Let's move on. Beautiful stuff. Holy crap. All right, I'm linking to this too. I have a lot of links. This one's called Suspended in Time. I find this one to be very interesting. I thought that with this type of process, you had to expose for a long time. And therefore, having moving people in the image is difficult. Like the first uh, first photographic exposure was eight hours long, I believe. Think about that. Eight hours to make a photo. And the photo looks like looks like some sort of splotchy nothingness with a picture of some sort of triangle ufo in it that's <laughs> but it's supposedly a uh, some street corner in france i forget where it's at exactly but but think about if you had to expose for eight hours and like, go get you know go get some coffee get some work done come back hope your photo turned out all right you didn't overexpose it i thought that you had to do that with with this type of process and I'm not sure about that, but this one is called Suspended in Time, and we have different photos of people doing action-type activities, whoa, exciting, With uh, in, in the photos. And they certainly have some, maybe a little bit of blur to them and some, some a lot of weird stuff going on, but it, the person seems frozen. So I'm not sure how this actually happened. I'm sure we've developed process since the 1800s. But we have a photo of a, a skater. It looks like he's outside of a street. Almost looks like some sort of jail cell behind him. But he's out. He looks like he's on a street corner. Some railing behind him. He's in the middle of an ollie. Really dramatic photo. He fades off into the distance a little bit. Like he fades in a ghostly way. It's kind of strange. Uh, probably part of the process as well. Which, like I said, makes all of this stuff way more interesting. It's so much more interesting when this stuff occurred naturally than... Uh, then you're able to push a button and, and push a fader, and then a person looks like a ghost. Really interesting stuff. And it's cool to see such a such an aged type of photography uh, with a photo of somebody skateboarding, right? Like if this photo was taken in 1912, you'd be like, He's a time traveler! 
He's from the future! Everyone would be like, tell me your ways. Show me how to build these rolling, these, these rolling boards of alchemy and death. A picture of a man smoking. Really interesting, uh, intense contrast to this photo. Very, very uh, rich aesthetic. And it's just a portrait. Just a portrait. Crazy. You know, who I don't even know where this photo was taken because it's actually really hard to tell in, in this case. But behind him, because of, uh, because of the abrasions and what have you from the film, it's this weird splotchy black and whiteness all over the place. So, you know, this could be just a regular black background. And because of the film and the, the dynamic of the processing, you have you have a lot of really interesting stuff going on. And a uh, beautiful photo of a man smoking. Uh, sharp focus on his eye. The left, the right side, well, left for him, right for us, side of his face is is looks blurred. Now, I don't know if that's from film abrasions or if that's from shallow depth of field. I've still yet to see a really good example of what I'm talking about with shallowness. <clears throat> we have a picture of a guy snowboarding outside. He's He, he hops up on this uh, stump of wood, does a flippy-do. He's upside down. Exciting times. And he looks like he's at some sort of snow resort. It's like a modern thing, right? <laughs> 1930s, this guy would be this guy would be a hero. They would be like, do more, do more movements. <clears throat> but uh, but he's, he's very blurry, so I wonder if that's a product of the process as well. But it's beautiful. His board is perfectly in focus. I, I, I can't imagine the technical understanding that goes into taking this type of photo. His board is perfectly still. The rest of him is, is very, very blurred and ghostly looking. It's, it's wonderfully done, though. You get a sense of motion, just like, you know, nowadays. Scrolling. Another photo. <clears throat> this one's, you could, okay, so yeah, this is actually a good example. We have a photo of a snowboarder. He has a snowboarder in, uh, snowboard in front of his face, has a lot of freckles on his face, almost as much as me, but I'm pretty sure I hold the world record. The background uh, looks like some sort of, I, I don't know, but it's got this splotchy black and whiteness everywhere, just like in the last one, but different, right? It's organic. It's totally organic. But the person's eyes are in focus, but the front of his head is out of focus. And right behind his eyes, on the back of it, like maybe, let's see if we go, if we look down from the top of someone's head, we move back th three inches that's out of focus. So it's this really shallow depth of field. Think F0.2, uh, F stop, that sort of thing. And, and uh, I believe it's because of the surface area of the, the print that you're capturing the photo onto. Extremely shallow. It's like a full frame times like seven or something like this. Another photo of a man truck scrolling more. Lots of interesting stuff. I mean, and if we look at this one, this guy's sitting on what well, looks like an iceberg, but it's just a pile of snow in the middle of a break of a river. It's this ex extremely contrasty type of thing that, once again, you would you could make a filter for nowadays, but it's 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 outrageously interesting. Like it it looks otherworldly. Beautiful portrait of a snowboarder the background's pushed way out of focus but you can tell that it looks like uh 
looks at least like there are mountains in the background with snow on them. However, this could just be film abrasions, but it looks like the, the you know, streaks of snow going down the side of a mountain, as one would, as snow would do on a mountain. Dirty snow. <clears throat> but he's standing on top of a stump, really interesting dynamic. Beautiful, beautiful photo. Uh, just, just great portraits, really solid executed portraits. And that's what I was looking for as I was looking for these photos. Cause I didn't want something that was just interesting because it was film. This person is actually a really gifted photographer. A lot of these action sports shots have these ghostly vibes to them. And, uh, and it's an, it's a completely different way, but also the same way of creating a sense of motion. Like I said, so unique, so interesting. More landscape stuff. Okay, let's uh, let's see what American Dream is all about. So this one looks like it was taken in more urban environments. We have a photo of a fence in the foreground. And then the background is completely pushed out of focus, but you can tell it's a city skyline. But it's so, I mean, it's so outrageously pushed, pushed out of focus. It looks like a painting. It's amazing. And I think this was naturally done by the dynamic of the, the um, process. Scroll down. We have a beautiful portrait, um, woman, uh, black woman, big eyes, really interesting expression, really interesting. Um, uh, hi, wife. Hi. How's it going? Good. Good. What you guys doing? Oh, we're just making a podcast in here. You want to say hi? Hi. <clears throat> Christina, wow. we're looking at, um, we're looking at, what did I say it was called? Uh, the it's it's the collodion wet plate process. Dude, the sunset is so pretty right now. How exciting! Yeah, it's the collodion wet plate process. That sounds and messy. It is it is a very early form of photography where they would coat a plate with like this liquid wet. solution with wet. We and the plate's like this big, huge wow. plate. They stick it in a camera. They would uh, expose it. Yeah, and they would create these images. Since we're talking about exposing yeah. and framage and mm -hmm. different things like that, you want to tell me the framing on this photo? Oh, yeah. So um, she likes to come to me for advice on how she should frame up her thumbnails for our other channel. That looks great, Christina. You it's did good. a really good like job. It doesn't bother you that it's now, like... if we weren't recording, I would tell you the truth, but that looks great here. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. It looks really good. The computer is sent. So the just composition guys... is good. She learned a lot from me. Whatever. So just to give you guys a little bit of context, the uh, and James will show the photo right here and make sure to link to the video oh as my well. Gosh, Christina, you're trying to make me. Edit. Um. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot about that. Anyway, let me drink my anti-depression juice. So, um, the laptop is in the center of the frame, and I've got um, some of our lovely plants on the right-hand side, and then a Premier logo on the left-hand side. Now, um, the, the important part is that the laptop is in the center, and also, Also, you cut off the bottom of the laptop, but in a really interesting way. So, that's a, that's a dangerous practice. Boy, I'm art. <laughs> My wife is art. You can see why I married her. You she can, is, in fact, art. You know what they called me in high school, right? What? Wet plate process. Oh, my... Whoa. <laughs> Collodion the wet plate process. That would be a good uh, children's show character. <laughs> Just a damp piece of towel. Uh, yeah, plate. right. Yeah. <laughs> Just like a wet towel. My name Collodion the wet plate process. That's, uh, that's the voice that I would imagine no. a, a damp towel having. Okay, bye. Because the mouth would be all floppy. All right. <laughs> Just quality here on the James Red Podcast. 
Hi, my name is Collodian the Red Red Process. I'm Collodian. <laughs> Collodian. <laughs> oh. Oh dear. Alright. Alright, that was good. <clears throat> that that <laughs> value of this podcast just went through the roof. Wow. Uh, so back to the portrait. We have a, a portrait of a woman. Um, the the eyes are just incredible in this photo, but uh, but the you can see her neck is completely out of focus. Only her face is perfectly in focus. Which, if you want to focus on a uh, a particular subject or a part of a subject, this is this is the way to do it. Is <laughs> to buy a wet plate camera. And um, let's see. So let's keep scrolling here. Exciting times. Yeah, and so it's like it's hard because with a lot of photos like this, like I don't tend to like the style of photography that much and crazy, crazy blurry abrasions and stuff it gets really sort of abstract feeling. I'm normally not into that kind of thing, but in this case I am just because the process of it is so interesting. Knowing the pro like I would follow this Instagram account for sure. But you, you have to put so much intentionality into these types of photos because of because of the stakes are so high. This one's really interesting. It's a portrait of it. So basically a standard street portrait, a girl sitting on she's on a bike. She has uh her hands on the handlebars and her you know, feet on the ground, and it's just a straight on shot portrait of her, but because of the process, her face is gone. Like it's just, the top half is black. Looks like some sort of some sort of a horror movie thing where she died. It was her time. She got hit by a plane, and now the 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 picture is indicating that she has moved on, but not completely. She's going to come back in the ghost of a plane and terrorize um, the native people of Yakaternberg water. But it's a you know, and it's interesting because of the process, like I said. And this one is interesting because of the process. And this one is interesting because is this guy's name Francisco? That's an exciting name. Beautiful environmental portrait of a guy of a welder. He has the welding hat uh, mask on. He looks like he's in the welding r- room, <laughs> welding court, wel- welding apparatus location, and uh, it looks like he has a sponge and he's doing his thing. So just an environmental portrait, but done this process. His face has this this really intense quality to it, very contrasty. I wonder how the the photographer works the lighting with this, but his composition is just dead on. I mean, it's hard to pull this off with uh with a DSLR with all the fixins. Man with his shopping cart. Really interesting double exposure thing going on with the portrait here. Uh, in, intense contrast once again. Intense lighting. Really interesting girl. And she looks like she has a tree branch or some sort of X-ray going through her face. Not sure what, but you can you can see it overlaid beautifully across um, her face, right around her like her mouth, and goes up through her eye. Super interesting. Super interesting. I we need to make this needs to make a comeback seriously. This is just downtown LA and it's it's a photo that has been taken in, in many different times from similar angles obviously. We have one bajillion photos going out every second. But this one has these weird bubbly abrasions on it. 
And all the abrasions are so different too. They're all, they're very organic, and it 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 just really immerses you into the photo. Okay, porches. So that's it for that's it for Ian Ruder. Let's move on, shall we? So it's also interesting how each camera, each lens, each film, each post processing technique can give your photo a different personality. It can immerse you in a bit of a different way. I've seen. I've seen Super 8 films, right? These old Super 8 cameras with the, with the handles on them. They look like guns. And I've seen footage of downtown New York that was that looks like it was filmed in the 1960s, right? But it was filmed in 2017. <laughs> and it's it's amazing how it takes you back to that nostalgic place. There's, I mean, there, so there's that side of it, the fact that you can sort of transport people in time. But it also... It it also takes an image and turns it into a scene to be immersed in and experienced. It has this quality film, and 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 post processing is sort of an imitation of that. That's why I go after this type of thing. Digital photos. I don't know if this is because we're we're seeing them every day. Digital photos don't seem to do that in the same way for me. That's why I manipulate my photos and turn them into filmic looking types of photos and I think that's an interesting phenomenon in photography but another thing is is specifically with lenses I think lenses make some of the the they make the most significant impact on the photos you're taking and I want to talk about long lens street photography a little for a little bit. There is a photographer who I came across a long time ago and spoke about her in a, a video. And I was trying to find her. I found her on Instagram, uh, and she she seems to do a lot of like newborn photography, which we're not going to talk about the newborn photography as exciting as that is. But uh, but I used to follow her on Flickr. And we're going to look at her Flickr page. Her page. Her name is Laura Malucci, I believe is how you say her name. Her last name, rather. I know how to say Laura. Larry. <laughs> but she... So we're going to go back to the, the 1900s in terms of social networks and look at her Flickr page and talk about some of her photos. Here we are on the Flickr page of Laura Malucci. And next we're going to be looking at the MySpace page of Ansel Adams. We have here a project called Lovers from 2014. And... As we scroll down, we see that it's a it's a street project, but she uses the uh, these long lenses, very shallow depth of field. I think we've moved away from that culturally in photography because for a while I think that was the thing, and now now we've moved away. I, I tend to shoot in a bit of an f four type of realm, and all the photographers I follow tend to shoot in that sort of they they, they let in a lot more background. And uh, that that trend's been really interesting. It's like a fashion trend, if you will. What's interesting about fashion trends is you don't normally see them going by as they happen. <laughs> like, I don't, I uh, I feel like we're gonna look back and go, oh yeah, that was the era of what skinny jeans, and uh, that maybe the 1950s are coming back through a little bit with like with with facial accessories for hipsters. Uh, so you know, suspenders and this sort of thing. That's exciting, right? But are we moving out of that too? What's next? Are we going to be wearing 
I mean, the obvious next option is spandex bodysuits, and I can't wait for that. But anyway, here we are on this project called Lovers, and it's just a collection of of portraits from far away of people who are couples engaging in coupley things. So in this one, we have a beautiful photo of a of a girl. It looks like she's taking a photo. So yeah, she was taking a selfie with her boyfriend. Or I, hopefully that's you know hopefully she wants whatever's happening to her to be happening to her, uh, kissing her on the cheek, and it's just a, a very poetic, elegant and uh, emotionally moving photo, and the whole series is just her capturing different variations of this. But one of the things she does well, and one of the characteristics of using a long lens is one, it looks extremely cinematic, and also the way she post processes it lends to this. It looks very looks like scenes from movies and she uses a lot of foreground elements for subframing and pushes the background way out of focus and it focuses in on the people on the frame i really love this one this is a photo of a boyfriend and a girlfriend hopefully once again they're very close to each other and they're just kind of looking at each other it looks like they were having a conversation you know who who knows how long this moment lasted but the fact is that this moment happened right the background's pushed out of focus in this really dreamy way, leading lines going into the distance and, and bokeh. And uh, a subframing element on the left side of the frame creates a tremendous feeling of depth. And then right in the right on the, the left quarter of the frame are the, the two people. Beautifully done, beautifully composed. We move down. And she's able to capture these photos from really far away and not interact with the people. And right now, a lot of what I'm trying to do with my photography is is I, I want I I want to be able. I, this is right up my alley right now. I, I love this sort of stuff. I love this sort of non-interactive type of street photography, and the immersive quality of this and the cinematic quality is is something that really makes the photo a joy to be experienced. A photo of uh, some people with purple umbrella she has a purple bag too really interesting color dynamic everything else is very faded blue blues and this sort of thing and why are you holding it well i get okay it feels like this is a scene from a movie because the fact that she's perfectly holding an umbrella above her head as she's kissing this guy but i guess it was raining she got really lucky on this one but she captured it well uh, she pushed these other people out of focus enough that they're not distracting in the frame. In the background, we have this bridge with beautiful lights. And she's also in a seemingly really interesting area, lots of European-type architecture, this and that. We have another photo of uh, two lovers, sit, uh, one sitting up on this beautiful stone railing. And in the background, you can see the sea and ships moving around and what have you. Beautiful dusk, light, pink light. Uh, she went out at a really, really interesting time for these photos. And the people are somewhat in the shadow compared to everything else in the scene, but it works because the because she pushed the background out of focus so much, these people are are separated from everything else. And this is one advantage of 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 not shooting a smaller aperture, of of, of really opening it up. But you can go both ways, right? It's just you, you have to employ different techniques for each different type of thing. Also, the bag on this guy's back is an interesting uh, point of focus. It's, it's a lighter point. has some designs on it. Another photo of some lovers kissing and loving, as lovers do. 
Act like lovers do. Talk to me. Like lovers. This is going to go on for 30 more minutes. Talk to me. Like lovers do. Do, 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 do. Do, 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 do. That's an original. That's going to be going out in June. Uh, just a lot of photos from, of people uh, kissing from different angles. And the background being pushed out of focus like it is, it really helps out because these are cl these are cluttered street scenes, right? And also her angles, like in this one, a uh, photo looks like it may be at a train station or something of this sort of uh, this couple just really close to each other. <laughs> they like they're kissing their ch cheeks, really having a good cheek kiss, I guess. But it's very poetic, and the girl has a cigarette. She, you know, it's not up to her mouth because she's focused on, on the guy, and you can see the smoke coming off the cigarette, just beautifully going up. I mean, it's just gorgeous freaking photos. But the perspective is something is an interesting perspective where she's pointing up on them a little bit. They're kind of at the bottom of the frame, really playful type of composition. But this is one way that you could actually remove clutter, especially if you were not pushing the background out of focus like she is here. Luckily, she has the best of both. But that's a that's a really that's a really good way to really good technique to use. More lovers, more lovers. So I think that's it. I I think that's all I want to say about these photos for now until I think of more things to say that are interesting. But just a really good series. I mean, really interesting. A lot. Oh, a lot of the, a lot of the the beautiful. The beauty of these photos is the interplay between the people and the the the, the simple hand gestures. Just, uh, just little ten percent minute details of where the hand is resting, and um, where they where they are in kissing. There's a beautiful part of kissing, and then there's an ugly part of kissing, and so you have to be very intentional and dynamic. And these these moments go away really quick. Love this photo of a couple once again kissing. <laughs> Surprise. Uh, you have a, a guy in the foreground. He would be incredibly distracting if he wasn't pushed completely out of focus. And uh, this sodium vapor light, and she's she she used this really well. Nice light on the girl. If they were in a dark spot, this photo would not have worked the way that it did. Uh, not so much light on the guy, but the, the fact that it's on the girl. And I've, I've learned, especially in like wedding photography situations if you have to pick somebody to focus on focus on the girl the bride and i think that that's a really for one it just eliminates the uh the friction of trying to figure out where to focus it takes out one more choice in the equation but those photos tend to work better good job ladies <clears throat> beautiful okay so that's I think that's it. Oh, I, I did want to look at another series really quick. It is another one of our street CRI. I'm going to go. No, I don't want to sign up with Yahoo. Get out of here. Yahoo's dead to me. Get out of here, Yahoo. Taking, trying to take my information and sell it to the communists. So we have another, uh, we have another street collection that is called... Project 52 Weeks of Street. Oh, Project 52 Weeks of Street dot dot dot. I'm going to assume that is going to mean street photography. So in this one, same idea, really long lenses, very, very removed from the situation in terms of her location. 
we have a shot of a guy doing some work. Looks like he's uh, what does he do here? Let's see. Let's let's gather context clues. He looks like he has different tools. Maybe he's like a uh, maybe a tailor, if you will, craftsman. Just says craftsman. He's, he works with his hands. He has an apron on. Uh, says slow food, but if he's a craftsman, maybe he's crafting food sculptures. Yeah, it's going to the Modern Art Museum. It's like there's this story of a guy who went to a modern art museum in California. He set his glasses on the ground and then stared at the glasses, uh, like stroking his chin. And then soon 30 people were <laughs> – I think you can find the internet – I think you can find the internet if you look for it. Take some time. Uh, take some intelligence, really. I think you can find the video. So uh, anyway, she used the uh, f- the – frame of the window as a foreground element to create some subframing, take out excess details that don't really add to the photo. This is a good way to do this. Yeah, I, mean, I, I try to use subframing all the time. It's a really fantastic technique, re- a really good way to get rid of crap in the photo and focus in on the, the thing that's important. In this case, she's beautifully framed his tools over on the left side and the Pixar lamp on the top of the left side of the frame, really interesting, really aesthetically pleasing. On the right side of the frame, on the other side of that subframing element, she has the craftsman doing his thing. And then all the way over to the right, she has another sort of a out-of-focus subframing element. So it has this very framed aesthetic to it. It's beautiful. Once again, I mean, she's just, she is a, very much a master of subframing. This is a picture of a girl in a coffee shop on a laptop doing some work she just has a sort of focused look on her face it's it's a mundane expression but still very pleasing very interesting and you can see you can see the uh you can see the the pane of glass going in front of her cutting coming up just to the top of her or to the bottom of her forehead and this is a sort of a risky composition but it's very playful. She has a lot of very playful compositions that end up working really well. When you play and you do it right, you end up with very, very, very unique photos. And that this adds also glass can add a really interesting dynamic, natural dynamic, similar to the to the uh, I keep forgetting the, the wet plate process earlier. Uh, glass is a good way. I mean, you have all these different sort of reflections from from the street and what have you, and uh, when done improperly, it's a nightmare. <laughs> when done properly, when used well, it can be an excellent way to to give your photos a unique aesthetic. More photos of couples doing less uh, less intimate things on the street. People, backs of people. Not a huge fan of back of people street shots, unless it really works. Pretty normal shot of some girls sitting on the ground, but this one girl has, and it looks very cinematic because it looks like she got down low to take the photo. And oh, also, she puts these letterbox bars on all these photos, which really works well. And uh, but you have this girl making this really, uh, really happy expression, really expressive expression, and it makes the photo come together in a beautiful way. She's sitting with a friend, has an emotional quality to it. But she, man, she frames her photos like movies. And I would encourage you. So this is a person on a couch? Is that supposed to be on the street? We have a pregnant lady sitting on a couch. 
But uh, I would encourage you to look to movies for inspiration for photographic framing. And there's a I did a live stream last night about a website called FilmGrab. And it's film-grab.com. Let me look. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to double check so I don't tell you. Yeah, film-grab.com. These are, these are thoughtfully curated stills from many famous iconic movies like 2001 A Space Odyssey is one, one of them at the top. Uh, that's a, that's a, a famous movie known for its, for its cinematic beauty and uh and it's a it's a great place to find inspiration for your photos these are controlled environments movies are right (laughs) they spend thousands and thousands of dollars to get all of the conditions just right and you can look at that oh my gosh beautiful photo of a of a older lady sitting at a grave in one of those uh, military graveyards with all the crosses in it wow she's just on her knees god freaking beautiful set her rose down so many bad things going on in the world right now, guys. But uh, where's that? You can. The There's a thing. Oh, no. Oh, no. I think I lost it. Maybe I should scroll up so I can find it again. There. Oh, yeah. So if you look at. If you look at. Uh, it's, it's a good way to. Oh, yeah. I got it. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Depression juice. No, 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 no. I need nutrients for my brain. Uh, these are very controlled environments where they spend thousands of dollars. They have entire teams to set up and compose these shots, and um, and, and taking that and then kind of you know f- filling in the creative void between that and whatever fo- photo you're taking on a daily basis is a fantastic practice. But anyway, that's it for Laura Malucci's photos. Let's move on, shall we? With all of that said, what's really interesting to me is one the fact that all of these different types of gear allow you to inject different characters into your photography but two that your own vision once you apply that on top of that dynamic that's when things get really interesting because you are the only one that has your vision so i foresee endless different combinations of, of of glorious photography that can be put forth. I, I don't I don't think that we have we have run out of photographic expression uh in this world. I don't think we've run out of opportunities for photographic expression. Just like you have your own voice that you sing with, whether it's good or bad, this is just an example. It's really hard to replicate another voice, that's why it's the best example. Just like that, you have your own vision for your art, and these tools are are a way to express that. You and you have all sorts of different directions you can go. It's endless, right? And that's when it gets really interesting to me. I think of all the things that can be done. You apply your vision, and you apply a story that you want to tell. And the more compelling that story is, that's really interesting, right? So I'd encourage you to think about that. But that's it. Uh, Thank you so much for listening and or watching. Please feel free to engage. I hope you have a lovely day. Goodbye.